And APB, American Protection Bureau, voted number one best on Long Island for all your security needs. Call 631-390-9050. That's 631-390-9050. APB. In the mood for a freshly roasted cup of coffee? www.offtherailscoffeeroasters.com Hello, everybody. This is our WWE Hall of Famer, Tony, Mr. USA Atlas, along with my good friend that y'all be seeing the last uh, couple of months. This is uh, Larry Hutton, uh, the, the owner and promoter for for NAWA Wrestling up here in, in the New England area. So anytime y'all guys ever uh, come to uh, some of the shows, and uh, Larry, what you got going on up here? In the, in a good old main area, we got we got a little snow, uh, not too long ago, but it didn't last long. No, uh, we're looking for some more this weekend. It looks like. Yeah, yeah, not we, much. They, but they, not it's much, Maine. But this is Maine. We kind of yeah. got used to living in Maine like this. You know, Maine is a very very good state. I've been here since 1990. Met my wife, uh, uh, Monica here, and now um, I like y'all most know. I don't know much about uh, computers. But luckily, the thing about people in Maine, they do things. <coughs> excuse me, 
the old-fashioned way. <coughs> and that is <clears throat> when friends up here need help, friends will come help each other. I live here in uh, Auburn, Maine. Larry lives about an hour from me. Uh, but Larry takes time out of his busy day to come up here and so that we could do this, uh, you know, do this uh, weekly program Tuesday with uh, Tony Atlas. And this is the gentleman that uh, helped me to get started, helped me get my Facebook page started. And we're going to go right back on Facebook pretty soon. Larry is uh, working on it. But anyway, Larry is uh, a very good guy, a hell of a wrestler, if you know, wrestling as the hillbilly, uh, uh, Larry Hunting. And Larry been known to have, believe it or not, one of the, on the independent circuit, uh, there, there's wrestlers seen that had a, a harder chop than Larry, but not on the independent circuit. So Larry is known all over New England for having the hardest chop in the business. So we should call him, you know how you call Greg the Hammer Valentine? This is Larry the Chop Huntley. He put the, he put the, he put the chops on them young boys, make them want a wee-wee on himself. But anyway, me and Larry was having a discussion not too long ago. And once again, before I get too much into it, Happy New Year's to everybody. I'm so happy that America made it through the, uh, all the bad things that happened to us, you know, last year, you know, with the virus going on and everything. I would recommend anybody, not tell anybody, I would recommend anybody, if you can, you know, get, you know, get your shots, you know, get vaccinated. If you don't want to get vaccinated, wear a mask but this is america you're free to make your own decision on what you think is safe for you and your family now i have met some people that can't take the shot i, I was at uh, uh, a wrestling universe uh, uh in queen and i met a gentleman that could not take the shot because he breaks out in highs when he takes it so everybody everything's not for everybody so those that don't want to take the shot i have no ill feelings about it. but if you're able to take it it'd be good to take it i took it for the safety of my wife. As y'all know, my wife is in the hospital uh, in DeVille and everything. But Larry is really the director of, uh, you can know. I take, can I tell you my COVID story? Yes, please. My son is autoimmune compromised. He's had three, not the booster. He's had three full shots. Everyone in my house has had two. You know why I took them? I took them for my family. I also took them so we could try to get life back to what life should be. Exactly. And here in America, you know, we need to get back to uh, the, the way things uh, should be. Uh, me and Larry, uh, we, we have uh, worked hard up here in Maine to try to keep wrestling going. And if it wasn't for Larry, there'd be no wrestling in the New England area. So he's a very, very good man. But anyway, on with the show. Me and Larry were talking earlier. The first thing I asked Larry, well, what the hell I'm going to talk about now? And Larry said, well, don't worry about it, Tony. Soon that, that camel come on, that big mouth of yours is going to flap out something. You get them lips are flapping, something's going to come out of <laughs> So what Larry did, he uh, got up, uh, he's going to help me here, you know, with a few things. Because uh, the way my brain operates, when it do operate, is that I say things as they come to me. I, I could be talking about wrestling. All of a sudden, I'm talking about shoes. Or then I'm talking about politics. You know, I would go from one subject to next. And the reason for that, that's how us wrestling was. We drove her down the highway. Like I said, we had to entertain each other. So one of the ways we entertain each other is tell stories about, about different wrestlers that we met. Now, let's say if I'm in Georgia and I just left <clears throat> Louisiana, 
So they know Ernie Ladd, Junkyard Dog, Ted DiBiase, Buck Roblin, and all them guys in Louisiana. They say, hey, Tony, uh, what's going on in Louisiana? So that was an entertainment, even though that wrestler was not in Louisiana. He got entertained for me to tell my story about time in Louisiana. I could see Bruiser Brody coming from the airport. And I would say, hey, Brody, where you been? Oh, I just got back from Japan. Hey, how was it? So Brody started telling me all, you know, the Japanese story, those stories that is funny or dangerous or, or what the promoter is like. So that's why the old saying was telephone, telegraph, and tell a wrestler because we would, when we meet, we would tell, we would have six wrestlers, you know, in a dressing room, and all six of their wrestlers the night before was in another state. So I wasn't in North Carolina, but it's a wrestler in the room that just left North Carolina. So I learned what went on in North Carolina from him. Learned what went on in Louisiana for this one. Learned what went on in Texas for this one. And that's what wrestling was pretty much all about. So with this section, Larry going to help me to get my brain working, which going to be <laughs> good luck, Larry. Also, a lot of people was telling me that the a couple of sections back that the volume was uh real bad. So if, for the future, I'm gonna try to get myself some microphone so that when I talk, people could uh, understand me because I'm hard to understand even when I am not talking about anything. So Larry, uh, you got any ideas of, of what you would like for you me know to what? tell the fans? Something we haven't really covered a lot of is actual wrestlers. And in my head, pop mid south. Right. That's uh, Watts's territory. That's what eighty two, eighty three, eighty four, somewhere. In there, right. Yeah. yeah. Bill Watts took and bought the territory, and he had Mid South was also it was Oklahoma, uh, Arkansas, and uh, Louisiana. Yeah. A lot of miles. Yes, it was. Now, one of the things about working that territory, you could be booked in New Orleans one day, but the next night, uh, uh, Cowboy Bill Watts got you booked in uh, uh, Oklahoma City. So the guys would drive all night long. The show used to start at 8 o'clock. They were in at 10 o'clock. Well, the wrestlers would get a six-pack of beer. They would get themselves uh, what I would say bologna blowout, which is a pound of bologna, uh, a pound of sharp cheese, and a loaf of wonder white bread. Oh, and another <laughs> another guy was sitting in the back. He would ask you. He would slice off a piece of that bologna. Nice thick piece of bologna like that. Then he would slice off a piece of cheese. He would slap that on that white wonder bread. You want mustard or mayonnaise? Oh, give me mustard. He take out his, his, his knife. Put a little mustard on that. There you go, kid. So you bite that sandwich and you chew on that one bite for about 15 minutes. Then, then that's, you how to, you, that's how you stay awake. That's right. <laughs> that's right. You have to stay awake like that. Because otherwise, you know, you, you, you know, you eat your bologna blowout, and then the guys will eat uh, uh, drink drink their beer, you know. And every every wrestler, if there's four wrestlers in the uh, in the car. All four wrestlers would get a six pack of beer. And the gimmick was you had to be finished with your beer by the time uh, uh, you get back to the building or get to the next town. But the hardest part of the business, uh, especially in Mid South, uh, was the traveling. Uh, 
Words of Travel. And there were some stories that was passed around uh, during that time about Mid-South. Now, the, the, the book, the promoter name was Cowboy Bill Watts. Now, Cowboy Bill Watts was a mountain of a man. I'm six foot six, six foot seven, you know, nearly 400 pounds, just a big, solid, rock hard guy. And if I'm not mistaken, you find y'all good at this anyway. When I say something wrong, y'all, you know, straighten me <laughs> out there. Because Larry told me that my last episode, one episode I did, I was talking about the dates of when the WWE, I, I mean, WWF became the WWF. And then Larry later on, after the program was over, and plus a couple of you well-informed fans out there, said, Tony, you got the dates wrong. <clears throat> Which, when I look back on it, I did. So if I make a mistake on any of the dates or, or anything I said, feel free to correct me. Like I said, sometimes I get, things, get stories and things all mixed up. Also, i like to give my apology to all the people in Guatemala, because when I went to Guatemala, Central America, times were different. And a gentleman uh, emailed me, which I really, really appreciate. And he said, Tony, it's not like that no more. He said, I would love for you to come back to Guatemala and visit our city. Things have changed a great deal since the last time that you was there. So I appreciate him giving me that information. Because like I said, a lot of my stories back in the 70s. Well, America was different 50 years ago, 40 years ago. Guatemala was different 50, 40 years ago. And most definite, most definite, wrestling was different 40 or 50 years ago. So getting back to Mid-South, the first time that I worked Mid-South, I can't remember the promoter name, but I, I worked in Alexandra, Louisiana. And I think the promoter name, if y'all can remember, anybody that was around at that time, the promoter name for Alexandria, Louisiana, and uh, he, he picked up at the airport, and he had his pickup truck, had these blowhorns on the top of it. So he said, Tony, uh, I want you to take off your shirt and get in the back of the truck. I go, oh, okay. So I take it, got to take my shirt off. Get in the back of the truck, he get out the car, had his bottle of baby oil. We started squirting baby oil all over me. Rub that in, kid, rub that in, kid. I go, okay. <laughs> I mean, Louisiana for the, this is my first day in Louisiana. I thought this man was crazy or something. So he put me in the back of his pickup truck. And he drive through the, the black neighborhood. Ladies and gentlemen, all wrestling fans around the world right here in this good town. He named the street and everything. He hollered at the guy at the barbershop. Hey, Joe over there. Hey, Sam. He knew all the people in the neighborhood. He was an Italian. He was Italian. But he knew all, all the people in the neighborhood. Look what I got for you here. Tony Atlas. Look at, look at his muscle. Hey, kid, show him that muscle. So I stand up and I put the muscle up. Oh, look at the muscles on the biggest arms in the world, the biggest muscles in the world. The world's strongest man going to be at the match tonight. You guys, come on out. Everybody, come on out. See the mighty Tony Allen. Show them that muscle, kid. Show them that muscle, kid. So I pull some more. So I'm now I'm getting pissed because I think this guy is, is, is messing with me. So I get back in the truck. He give me a towel. I wipe off and everything, you know. 
we get to the building, the building is packed. About 70% of the audience is black. So after the show's over, I said, why do we do that? He said, well, most of the blacks in this area, they don't watch television. He said, so I go through, I put up posters that whenever I got a black wrestler coming in town, he said, I take him to the neighborhood so the people could meet them before before the match. I said, oh, wow. He said, that's how I get them out. He said, because most time they're out, they're not sitting around watching TV. Right. He said, most of them don't have TV. They were mostly into music. Every black guy had a radio and a big jukebox, but not everybody sat around and watched television. When I was a kid, I didn't watch TV. You know, most black young men don't sit around and watch TV. So he said, that's how I get let the black audience know who's in town. So about a month or so went by, he booked me again in Alexander, Louisiana. So when I got on the plane this time, I looked at him. I said, hey, he said, hey, Tony. I said, guess what? He said, what? I said, I got my baby on. <laughs> I got my baby on. So he, he said, good. I can save. He said, I wish I had known that would have saved my money on baby on. And we did, every time I went there, we did the same thing. When I met this young lady, remember I said a wrestler had a woman in every port? Well, I was no different than any other wrestler. And uh, the food, everything he ate was hot. Spicy hot. Not spicy hot. Hot. Oh, hot. Okay. Hot. So, and this girl, she would set my butt on fire every time she cooked for me. So I said, well, let me think of something. She said, my mom want to cook you dinner. Uh, what would you like to, to eat? And I said, well, now, what in the hell can she make that don't set me on fire? Then it dawned on me. I said, make me spaghetti. I like spaghetti and meatballs. Safe, I felt. I took one bite of that, that sauce. That sauce had so much red pepper in it. Red, no, the green. Oh, the green is oh, the hottest. Geez. Man, I took a bite of that damn spaghetti. <laughs> Even when I fought it, it burned the hairs off my butt. I ain't got no hairs on my butt right now for farting them, just farting that spaghetti. <laughs> Everything was hot. It never grew back. Oh, huh? my goodness. No, never grew back. But that was uh, how they used to eat. Now, I'm, like I said, this is in the the 70s. So <laughs> life in Louisiana, I'm sure, have changed a lot since the 70s. You know, in Virginia, just about on every kitchen table, there were some chitlins and pig feet. Just about just about once about once a month on every uh African American table. Now it's not. Uh, people have moved up, people don't have to eat that type of, of food no more. In other words, we hound hog now. But that was my first time in, in Louisiana. Another time that I was in uh, Louisiana, I used to hang out a lot with JYD, the uh, junkyard dog. And I'm riding with dog one time. He used to take me to this gym. And it was a Christian gym. And uh, in fact, right before I did, the, if you want to get that Mid-South tape, you see me doing 550 on that tape. Well, believe it or not, that same day I got kicked out of a gym because it was a Christian gym. So the way I used to lift, I used to have a guy to hang me the weight that don't touch it no more. And I would push it up. Well, I take the 550 off. The guy hung it to me. I bring it out. I started to push it up. He reached for it. I haul it out. Don't fucking touch it. <laughs> Yeah, don't, that's the uh, don't fucking see. test my weight. So <laughs> the owner, who's a you know, this is a, this is a Christian gym. 
He said, yeah. <laughs> he said, well, you can't work out here no more. So I can't remember what that gym name was, but uh, it was in it was in Baton Rouge, uh, 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 Louisiana. Another time, I'm uh, riding with uh, JYD, and uh, we get to the building. And I hope this person don't mind me telling the story because it's got a, a real, real uh, uh, bad ending to it. And the, the guy is my friend. His name is Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And uh, Hacksaw was in Mid-South at this time. Uh, we were going to wrestle in the ring. But like I said, a lot of guys, they were into being crazy and wild and drunk. Well, Hacksaw came to the building one day drunk. I mean, so freaking drunk. It took him 10 minutes to get in the ring. So he would go to get in the ring, and they had a step shot to climb him. So Hacksaw would go for them steps. He 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 missed, kept missing the step. He would go, and the fan would go, whoa! He backed up, measured the steps again, try to climb the step. He missed the steps again. The fan would go, whoa! So this went on for about five minutes. Finally, the referee told me, said, jump out of the ring, Tony, and throw him in the ring. That way you can help him get in the ring. They want me to put him over. In other words, I had to lose to him, but he was so drunk. So anyway, I throw him into the ring. I throw him into the rope. I drop down. I was going to jump up. When he come off the rope, I was going to give him a clothesline. Well, when Hacksaw jump on me, he trips. And he goes out of the ring again. <laughs> so we start all over again, trying to get Hacksaw back in the ring. He go for the step. He missed. And the family go, Whoa, 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 every time he missed them steps. So Fanny, the rubber said, Tony, go get him again. So I jump out of the ring again. I throw Hacksaw back in the ring again. The referee said, go home now. So now I pick Hacksaw up for a slam. But instead of slamming him, I fall back with him. So that, so you know, the referee can count me out. Hacksaw trying to get up. Hey, right up. He tried to get here. He's gonna taunt me. He's like this. He trying to try to get out. How the heck's out? Stay, stay. So the referee had to do this. So finally, went, the match was over. Hacksaw win the match. We get back to the to the dressing room. About a, a couple of days later, JYD come up and said, "Hey, Tony, uh, you hear about Hacksaw?" I said, "No, no. What happened with Hacksaw?" He said he was in a car accident. I said, oh, Lord, I sure hope he wasn't drunk. They said, yeah, but unfortunately, his girlfriend got killed. So sometimes things we do uh, hurt others. You know, it, it wasn't intentionally, but, you know, my, like I said, my good friend Tommy Wildfire Rich was driving one night, flipped the car over, and, uh, uh, you know, broke my neck, was intentionally, and I don't think, I don't know what happened, because I was in the car with Hexall, but I do know that later on, I hear, but me and him just got through wrestling, that same night, you know, I, when Hexall talked about it on Legend House, WWE Legend House, I wanted to tell my part then, but I decided maybe you should keep your mouth shut, Tony, but, you know, my condolence goes out every day to Hexall. I go 
you know, his ex-girlfriend. He got a beautiful wife now. He, he lived, you know. He was just cleared of cancer for the second time. Oh, God bless him. God bless him. I, 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 yeah, yeah, pull hats off. Well, you know, sometimes things happen in our lives that uh, that, that we, we have to live with, you know. And then when he told the story in Legend, right then I, I said, I remember that night because I wrestled you that night. I didn't want to say anything. We had a black trans and I remember uh, wrestling that night. There was one of the things about us wrestlers, you know, we had to party on the road. I mean, everything we did was, was on the road. We got 10 you days off. You felt you were indestructible. But being young did that. Yeah, being a wrestler, you're right, Larry. Being a wrestler, big. yeah, we're big and strong. You you're larger than life. Larger than life. And the promoter was blown up, uh, building us up, up here, bigger than what what we were. I remember old timer like Johnny Weaver would come up to me and say, "Hey, kid, don't believe all your don't believe your own publicity. <laughs> don't get the big head. Don't be a prima donna. You know they used to tell it because it's very hard." You know, to stay humble, where people are telling you every day of your life how great you are, how you wonderful are, you are. You guys are rock stars back then. Yeah, we're just like rock stars. You know, people look. There was only so many stations. You know, they didn't have all the network and the, the TV station. You had like four or five TV stations. So you was on one of them stations. Well, what was it? ABC, NBC, NBC CBS. and CBS, and Public. Yeah. But but no, they had they had uh. uh they had another one. They had that one. They have, Usually there was a UHF channel. Right, USF channel. But it, but it didn't have, um, uh, what was it, uh, the cable, uh, HBO. Well, that's when you had yeah, cable. Yeah, that came that's... on later in the same one. HBO was the first one. And then Ted Turner came along with uh, TBS, which was the first cable wrestling show. Uh, by, I think it was 73 or 74 when he started. But, but before that, you know. Uh, Everything was syndicated. Yeah, everything everything was syndicated. So so I, I could wrestle in New York as a bad guy and go to Virginia and wrestle as a good guy because people never saw me. I was wrestling Bruno Sammartino down in Houston, Texas. And people was asking me, who is that? <laughs> Bruno. They didn't know who he was because that TV did not go into uh, Texas area. That way he had these different territories. Like you had the Von Erichs who ran Dallas at Fort Worth. But then you go to Houston, it's a different TV and different talent. And the people in Houston didn't know the people in Texas. And the people in Texas, yeah. When and I was, then, when then I was you go to West up. Texas, go to West Texas, and you got, you had, um, uh, what's his name? Turb, uh, Dorn Funk ran uh, West yeah. Texas. Yeah. So, so you had like three different territories, but the TV would not go over the line. Over right, the line. right, right. You couldn't go from West Texas with the, a match from West Texas would never get seen in Dallas and a match in Dallas would never get seen in West Texas. But that... The only way we got to see that, as a 50-year-old guy now, back in the 80s and the 70s, all we ever had was magazines. Yeah. That's the only way we learned about and, and, any and, place that, else that's how you except know about, what was on our one-hour television a week. That's right. That's right. But you see, back in, getting back to our Mid-South, GYD, I would say, at that time, was a bigger name, believe it or not, than Ted DiBiase. Oh. Be believe it or not, in Mid-South, JYD was selling out everywhere you went. Everywhere you went. Ernie Ladd was the first African-American booker. Bill Watts made Ernie Ladd his booker. Well, one time, 
I don't know what the stories are about. I'm just going to tell you what I've seen. Because uh, what happened before this, I wasn't there. I'm just going by what the other rats are saying. There was a woman involved. I don't no. know. If, oh, yeah, there was a woman involved. And between Matt Bourne and uh, Hexar, I think, I could be wrong, I think Matt Bourne dated her first. And then Hacksaw started dating her, or vice versa, whatever the story is. You meet Hacksaw, he probably could tell you uh, the story. Matt Bourne is no longer here to tell his half of it. But anyway, he was in the back, and they got into a fight. There was a lot of fights in Mid-South. A lot of fights in Mid-South dress room. If me and Larry had a problem in Mid-South days, Bill Watts said, okay, you guys fight it out. But after you finish fighting, I don't want to hear no more about it. Finish it right now. So, so these guys got into a fight in the, in the uh, dressing room. And Ernie Ladd played professional football. Ernie Ladd, for those that don't know, was six foot nine, three hundred and thirty pounds. He was an ex-football player. Yeah. He had bad knees from a lot of operation on his knees from football. So Ernie going to break up the fight. So Ernie get in between them. Like they got one big hand, and Ernie had hands like this. One big hand he's holding hacksaw. The other big hand he's holding uh 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 Bourne, uh Matt Bourne. Yeah, Bourne. So Ernie's knees started to get wet on him. So you ever see that like in the witch, the wizard of all when you throw the water, throw the water on the witch. And then she started melting down the ground. That was Ernie. Ernie was here, and all of a sudden Ernie is sinking. Like this. And Ernie go. Ernie Lab, for those that don't know Ernie Lab, this is how Ernie would talk. Tony Atlas. Tony Atlas. Y'all come over here, Tony Atlas, and stop there two people from fighting. My my knees are giving me out on me, Tony Atlas. Tony Atlas, y'all down back muscles. Y'all down muscles, Tony. Help me out here. So I go in to help Ernie bring him up. Finally, Hexall get uh, Matt Bourne in a headlock. Hexall take his finger. And he go for his eye. He, he go for he go for eye. I grab Hexon's hand to pull it back because he gonna take Matt Bourne out. Wrestle with fight that way. They remain you. They will rip your eyes out or something. So that was one fight that I witnessed in Mid South. Another fight that I witnessed in Mid South was between one of the hardest. Y'all look this guy up. I wish you could find tapes of him. His name was Thunderbolt. Patterson. There's tapes everywhere Thunderbolt. Thunderbolt Patterson will electrify your order. In fact, a lot of people say that Dusty Rose would have never made a quarter if he had not copied Thunderbolt uh, gimmick. If you look at Thunderbolt and you look at Dusty Rose, they had the same gimmick. You know, Dusty played up a cool black guy, you know, your blue-eyed soul brother, we used to call him blue-eyed soul brother, he did all the black gimmick, did all the black moves, you know, all the fancy stuff, you know, the ass shaking, you know, everything, but it all started before Thunderbolt, there was a guy called Bearcat Wright that started it, then Thunderbolt started picking it up, then Dusty Rhodes picked it up, and believe it or not, Tony Atlas picked it up, so we we all imitated Thunderbolt because he had certain moves and certain things he did in the way that really electrified the audience. Well, anyway, we're wrestling, and we're on an airplane, and Thunderbolt going to wrestle a guy called Tank 
Patton. Now, Thunderbolt was probably about six foot one, six foot two, about 250, 260 pounds at the time. But at this time, Thunderbolt had lost some weight, so he was down to probably about 235, 240, because he was 260, but, but he lost about 20 pounds because he just, you know, he's a move on it at a lighter weight. Tank Patton was every bit of 350 pounds. Every bit of six foot four, 350. Tank Patton was a name. Huge, huge big guy. So he's in the ring wrestling Thunderbolt. Well, Thunderbolt didn't put over none, none of his stuff. Thunderbolt just did his thing. He just did his thing to him. So Pat, Patton come back and said, Thunderbolt, you fucking nigga you, you didn't sell shit for me. You didn't sell nothing for me. You fucking nigga you. Thunderbolt said, I'm not going to be no more of them niggas now. Now Thunderbolt had already came back to the dressing room. He was completely Buck naked with flip flops on and a towel wrapped around it when they got in a fight. With Thunderbolt, what a lot of people don't know used to box. So every time he hit Pat, a tank patent, a tank, he cut him with his hand. Thunderbolt knew how to hit and cut you. He would cut you. Every time he hit you, he cut you. Break skin. Tank is bleeding all over his face. Looked like a freaking pumpkin. Boat beat him. Fatty Boat knocked him down. Now, Thunderbolt smoked a lot of weed back then. Probably still do. So he was still kind of stoned. I didn't want to fight. Thunderbolt had went religion. We heard a lot of rats say Thunderbolt went religion. Thunderbolt got his Bible, sat on Tank Patton's chest, naked, with flip-flops on, and read the Bible to him. <laughs> now, before the fight is over with, I tried to break the fight up, me and uh, Dusty Rhodes. We tried to stop Thunderbolt and uh, Tank Patton from fighting. Bill Watts came to me and Dusty Rhodes and said, if you guys break up another fight in this dressing room, you're fired. He said, I'm going to fire you. He said, when people get ready to fight here, let them fight. And that was Bill Watts, our motto. You get in a fight, you know, you finish it right there in the dressing room. And then the next day, uh, you moved on. But JYD was a, a very generous, generous man. He made a lot of money. I don't know how much of it he saved. Because Doyle used to come in sometime, have two or $3,000 in his hand. He would sit there and we just throw it in his bag. And his bag is open. And he's sitting there looking at all that money. <laughs> laying around in his bag. And you always wonder, dog, ain't you afraid somebody would, uh, uh, would take your money? Nah, nah, I ain't worried about it. I ain't worried about it. Nah, nah, I ain't worried about it. I'll whoop their ass. I'll whoop their ass. Which he probably could because a lot of people was uh pretty much afraid of uh JYD. JYD played professional football, he told me, for uh I think it was Green Bay. If I'm wrong and you people know what team, correct me on that. But I'm pretty sure he told me he played for Green Bay. He got kicked off the team for fighting. His teammate, you said something, the dog had a very short feud. You said something to JYD, you know, he would tag you. Now, like I said, you know, not putting blame on nobody. Dog, like most of us, we did a little getting high. One day, well, y'all probably saw this tape. The tape with me and Paul Ondorf had the pose down. 
You know, me and Paul on up yep. did the pose down, and Paul took the, the the cake and threw it in my face and everything. Well, right after that tape, I was on my way to the airport. Vince McMahon Jr. came and said, Tony, I want you to wait for JYD. He got a few more things here to do. I said, well, Vince, let me go. Please, Vince, let me go and catch my flight. Because I knew that Dahl was a higher-up guy. So if he's late, nothing's going to be said to him. I was on the shit list at that time. So I said, Vince, please, don't let me uh, go. Now, the week before that, I was supposed to take a flight and go to uh, St. Louis, yeah, the Joe Louis Arena. Detroit. Detroit. The Joe Louis Arena in Detroit. I was going to go to the Joe Louis Arena. I was there the, the month before I wrestled King Kong Bundy, and Bundy let me win. So this was the return of that match. So Vince rented JYD a Lear Jet. The Jet had champagne, whiskey, wine, all your orders you want. The cheese, the crackers, this, none of that, and of this. I mean, you would think you riding with President Trump the way this thing was all messed up. You know, nice little jet strictly for JYD. So, dog, me, we sitting there drinking wine and, and eating the food and everything. So, when we get off the airplane, JYD want to get himself some gimmick, you know, what we call nose candy back then. He's out there, I gotta get me a little something. To wake me up there, kid. Wake me up there. I said, dog, we're going to be like, ah, nah, 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 don't, don't worry about it. Nah, 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 don't worry about it. I said, all right. So I'm sitting in the car. Dog had a little seat. Took off to the ghetto. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> to the drug dealer house. We got a limousine. We're going through the ghetto, brother. In a freaking limousine. No one, no, people, no one noticed. Oh, nobody no, going to notice. No Everybody's like, like the, people say, who in the hell is that coming through the ghetto? You know, coming through the project in a limousine. You know, the, 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 the car was so long, couldn't turn half of the corners. So anyway, <laughs> we finally get to the building. Late. King, when I got there, King Kong Bundit was coming out of the ring. Oh, shit. I missed my match. George Wells took my place that night uh, in the Joe Lewis Arena mm -hmm. in Detroit, you say. So, Dog did his match. Vince come to me and jumped on me. Well, I told you to take care of him. I told you to make sure that. They always would put a wrestler in a position where they know that wrestler can't do nothing about it. If I'm down here, it's impossible for me to tell a guy up here what to do. <laughs> it ain't going to happen. I don't care how big my arms are, how much I bench press. Dog was a main event at that time, and Vince was jobbing my black ass out. So there was not a damn thing I could do to tell JYD, no, you can't go and do this, and you can't go and do that. I couldn't do that. He wouldn't, he wouldn't listen to me anyway. I mean, why should he? You know, he was one of the biggest Vince big star. Vince was not doing nothing with me. So there was another time that uh, I was with Dog or with somebody that I got in trouble. But the person that was with me, the you know, the big wig, he did not uh, get in trouble. And I'm sure it's the same way with a lot of you people. Y'all can do something with somebody. This person a little bit higher up on the ladder. You down on the bottom. What the old saying? Shit always rolled downhill. 
So it, it rolled down on me all the time with that. But I love dogs. I, I have no regret. And if I should travel with them again, I'd probably do the same thing with them again. Because we have fun. At that time, we look at it as having fun. We didn't see no wrong in it. We got caught. We laughed it off. Went on the next day and screwed up again. <laughs> so, early lad was probably the, the smartest, nicest individual I ever met. He died of, of, of cancer, uh, unfortunately. You know, and uh, he helped me a lot in, in, uh, in, in Mid-South. Cowboy Bill Watts out of Mid-South, not on it. He got a son named Eric uh, Watt. I wrestled against Eric Watts uh, in WCW mm -hmm. back in 2000, uh, 1992 and 93, somewhere mm -hmm. right around that. Yeah, Eric uh, Watts. And in fact, I was fortunate enough about a year or so to talk to him on the phone. Somebody had his uh, phone number, but great big scrapping, nice looking young man, uh, Eric Watts. He was, with, he was tag team at that time, I believe, with Dusty Rose's son, Dustin. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Before he became Gold Dust. Yeah. This was the back when uh, uh WCW. Yeah. The old WCW. So Bill Watts not only made Ernie Ladd the first black Booker, he also made Ron Summers the first black world champion. So Bill Watts is one of the people that are really, really promoting to help a lot of black af uh, athletes, Tiger Conway Jr. I mean, you ask any black athlete about Bill Watts, they have nothing good to say about it. At that time, they had a lot of great talent. Buck Roblin, probably one of the, the best workers uh, that this business uh, had ever seen. Uh, and nothing to look at, but it was all about up here. Yeah, smartest man that ever been in this business. He knew how to get a match over. He knew how to get the, get the fans involved. He knew how to put butts in the seat. Uh, Buck Roblin, uh, I don't know if he's still living up, but a very, 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 very intelligent uh, man. He was, you know, he he worked mid-south a lot. And, of course, all y'all remember Ted DiBiase. Ted DiBiase was just like JYD. He was a very, very big draw in a mid-south area, you know. So mid-south wrestling was a place all of us used to enjoy going. I used to love Jake the Snake Roberts uh, was there. Now, Jake's father... Uh, also became the booker in Mid-South. His name was Grizzly Smith, and he used to have a tag team partner with just as big as him. They called himself the Kentuckians. Uh, years ago, Grizzly Smith was a Kentuckian. Grizzly was about seven feet tall, 6'10", 6'9", somewhere in that neighborhood. Nice, nice man. In fact, Grizzly Smith taught me how to make beef stew. <laughs> That's why I learned how to make beef stew. You know, his uh, son, Sam Houston, which is Jake's brother, took me over to his house one day and Grizzly and Smith were making that old beef stew and the best beef stew that I ever had in my life. So that was pretty much a lot of my time in the uh, uh, Mid-South area. Uh, I loved the gumbo, Louisiana mud ball, fried catfish, fried gator bites. You ever had gator bites? No. Brother, they're good. Oh, I'm sure they're, they are. Like, they're like chicken nuggets. Okay. But it's alligator. They call them Gator bite. You have one, you you would like it, you know. Uh, one time, some guys invited JYD. Uh, they were called Cajuns, something like that. Mm -hmm. They lived in the swamp. Yeah. Because swamp people. They invited 
dog to his house. There was a birthday party for a kid or something. They wanted, there was all Rastafari that loved JYD. The dog said, he's going to go. So I said, okay, I'll go with you. Now, dog drove a 450 Mercedes Benz. That was a big brown Mercedes Benz. So when we got to this dirt road, we had to get out the car. Then we get in this boat with a big fan behind you. I don't know what the hell that was. What yeah. is that landing? I don't know what the name of the boats are, but I've seen Big old you know, gigantic air. Uh, for catching gators and all yeah, that. Yeah, it's a fan. Yeah, it's a. That, that blows. Airboat. Airboat, yeah, glaze. It, it. <laughs> we get to this house up on stilts with water all around it. The guy had a pot going. He pulled this big net, something made out of chicken wire or something, out of the water. Mm hmm. Had everything crawl around you now. Now, lizards and snakes and everything was in this freaking thing. He dumped that right on in the pot. <laughs> I'm sat there looking at him. I'm going, what the hell did you put in that pot? Dog said, don't ask. Just eat. <laughs> he said, don't ask, Tony. I don't want to know. So whatever came out that pot, we ate. I don't know well, what I was eating. I'm glad I wasn't with you, brother. Brother, <laughs> right? You out in the mud? You out in the bayou? You insult this guy? Oh, you I may, know. Oh no, you no, may no, stay no. in the bayou. Yeah, I know. So you, you, you know, Chicago. Try. Oh yeah, yeah you go. Uh, yeah, you stay in the bayou. Yeah, you stay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'll I make, just, I'll make sure I don't go down and hang out with locals down in oh, Louisiana. No, no. <laughs> but like I said, I'm going back years. You know, that area probably not even. Uh, not even there no more. The people probably don't live that way. But you got to realize the 70s was a time where it was right before the changeover. So you had a lot of stuff that date all the way back to the, I mean, there were still farmers in Virginia in the 60s and 70s that was hauling hay with a fork. You know, they put them in these little yeah. rows, had a hay rake, put them in a row, and you throw them on the back of the trailer. Everybody didn't have a, a hay bailer. There was there farmers walk behind a mule, you know, late seventies, early, yeah, you know, yeah, you know in, in the seventies that couldn't afford the tractor. tractors. Yeah. Now nobody used horses and mules or nothing like that. I say about the eighties, everything it mostly played. So right. when I tell these stories about Louisiana, somebody may call me up. Well, I live there, brother. We don't live on no damn stick houses no more. Back then you did. When I was there, you did. That's what I saw. But then they had these Indians that was. Uh, in Louisiana, I didn't know about. And the guy told me, there's the only property in the United States that still don't belong to the United States. The Indians in that area, in the swamp, okay. they own it. I, I can't think of the name. Well, there's Some, a bunch of reservations all over now. Yeah, yeah. Somebody know what, what name of these Indians are that live in the Louisiana area. Uh, uh, go ahead and text me, Larry, Larry. I can't remember the, the name of them. But, but, they, but they live right in the swamp. They say back in the 1800s, the U.S. government tried to get them out of there. They went in there. They didn't think about going back out there no more. Let's put it that way. But that was my time with, with Louisiana. I love Bill, Cowboy Bill Watt, Grizzly. I met Jake the Snake Roberts there, Ted DiBiase, JYD, uh, Pusta Pants Watley uh, was another great wrestler. Uh, Skip Young was another. So in the past, you've told us about how there was only room for one top uh african-american right but it seems like we have a whole 
Oh. Yeah, but these were like different territories. I mean, I, oh, I thought you were talking right. about Mid South. Well, no, they all came into Mid South, but they didn't stay. Just like when I went to Mid South, I, Junkyard Dog was the Mid South top guy. Thunderbolt Palace was Georgia top guy. Oh, okay. Tony Atlas was Mid Atlantic. So what Bill Watts would do when he had these big shows, oh. he would fly in the Funks, he would fly in Harley Race, he would fly in me and Tommy Rich. He would bring big names from other, uh, kind of like WrestleMania. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But instead of all the wrestlers coming from the W, uh, WE, the wrestler came from different uh, territory. Like with Texas, we have their big Thanksgiving show. Then we have wrestlers coming in from different territory. They had big names that was right. a big draw. It was like a big mega car. But they only did these, uh, maybe every three months that they would do these the big show. And on time that I would go to Louisiana, when I had a big show, but sometimes Vince, I mean, a Bill would have you stay for a couple of weeks, and, and you do the loop. So you would stay there for a couple of weeks, and then you after live mix up, you hop a flight and maybe fly to Vergonia. See what they had then? They call it the uh, 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 NWA. Yes. Now the NWA then stretched all the way from the East Coast to the West Coast. Yeah. That whole bottom half was. Uh, 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 NWA. It said Georgia Championship Wrestling, but it was all part of the NWA. Correct. Yeah. I think, if I'm not wrong, uh, I think the guy that started it was uh, Eddie Graham, Mike Grandfather, okay. if I'm not mistaken. And what you did, they would get together uh, like once every six months or once a year, they had this big meeting and they would talk about how they're going to do talent. Just like they say, well, well, uh, Barnett. You got Tommy Wildfire Rich in Georgia. Uh, I would like to use Tommy uh, for a couple of months, you know, in Louisiana. I said, oh, okay, Bill. He said, he said, he said, yeah. He said, can you send me Rick Flair? I would like to have Rick Flair for a while. That's why I say Harley Race was a true world champion because Harley Race wrestled wrestler from different territory. You know, all the guys that, he would come to Georgia and wrestle the Georgia champion. He would go to Mid-Atlantic and wrestle the Mid-Atlantic champion. He'd go to uh, another territory and wrestle against another uh, 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 St. Louis St. Louis, City. and Kansas City. So he would go to all these different places, but they, they, they were different territory. Whereas now, your world champion only wrestle the people in his area. Right. Like, if you want to get a world champion now, you would have to have the WWE World Champion, uh, a Ring of Honor World Champion, and uh, uh, AEW World Champion, uh, and Impact Wrestling, and next, you know, NXT World Champion, and you 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 have you have a, a bout, and then whoever wins, that would be that champion. But you see, the WWE champion is going to never wrestle AEW champion. And AEW champion is never going to wrestle Ring of Honor champion. So that's why you don't have any more world champion. See, we had just one world champion. Now, AEW had a world champion, and WWF at that time had a world champion. But they was not part of the NWA. The NWA had one world champion. That world champion would go from Cal and Japan. Yeah. 
He would go. He would go to Japan and wrestle in Japan. He would go to Australia and wrestle guys in Australia. He would go to to Germany and wrestle German champion. He would go to England and wrestle the English champion. So he was what you call really was a world champion. Now they call you a world champion, but in your whole career, you may wrestle six people in the same territory, yeah. or you they, wrestle the same three people six times. Yeah. They say uh, Ric Flair was the last traveling world champion. Yes, yeah, I, I will, I will agree with that. Ric Flair was probably the last, the last of the world champions. You had the, the who held the NWA belt was Harley Race, uh, uh, Ric Flair. Uh, I believe both of the Funks. I know Dory had it. Terry, I think Terry, Terry, I think too. Terry, Terry yeah. was world world champion too, and and, and that's pretty much uh, how the business uh, was back in them days. So when they call you world champion. You were truly a and world was, champion. And it was rough. A but lot rougher than people thought it was. When people, used, I heard of champions. I'm done. Put it on. Get it off. Put it on somebody else. I can't do it no more. Yeah, but, the, yeah the, because the, 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 traveling, the traveling was incredible. Harley Race wrestled me in Georgia. Well, the next day, Harley Race is in California the next day. Then after California, Harley Race would take a, a, a six-hour flight back to New York to wrestle in New York area. Then he would fly from New York down to Florida. Yeah. Then he'd go from Florida to, J to Japan. I wrestled Harley Race. Oh, I got to tell this story. I got to tell this story. Well, let's hear it. I hope I don't get kicked off of YouTube for telling that. <laughs> we'll find out. Yes. I just won. A bodybuilding contest called the Mr. Hercules WBBG World Bodybuilding Gear, and the promoter name was Dan Lloyd. Dan Lloyd, and I just won this contest. So Ole Anderson was the booker, and me and Holly, we're gonna wrestle one hour for the World NWA World Championship. So I'm getting ready to go to the ring. Here come Ole Anderson. Ole was the booker. Okay. Where them trunks at that you would whoa you win them contests? What you wear you win them contests. So I pulled out them little bit of <laughs> trunks. They were like bikinis. String bikinis. Little, <laughs> little, little string bikini. So I pull them out. And Hollywood said, uh, just so people know Larry. Yeah. Grab one of them pictures. Yeah, Larry's gonna go and get I mean, y'all gotta see what what I what I have. Now make sure you hang it hang it back up there, Larry. Yeah, the yeah, picture on the wall. Yeah, the one in the center there. Yeah, yeah, Larry's gonna hang it back up for me. Cause I'm old, you see. That's why I like to have young people around you. Because these young folk take around and do things. You're, you're funny, young people. Yeah, well you fifty is young to me. Okay, <laughs> I don't know if y'all can see these trunks. <laughs> You see what I'm talking about? Bikini. These the trunks that I used to wear when I used to bodybuild. Okay? So Larry, Harley Race saw me standing in the ring with a pair of wrestling boots on. And them so damn, you wore those in the ring? I wore them oh, in the ring. Geez. Oh, yeah. Oh, let's, so, let's do yeah. that right here. Yeah. So anyway, I put them deep little trunks on in the ring. So when Harley, you know, he had his head down, got his robe on, he got his back to, to me, he pulled on the ropes a little bit, then he pulled his robe up, folded it up, laid it out. He ain't seen me yet. 
So then he turned, and this is the look on Harley's face. <laughs> he just stared at me just like that. <laughs> Kept looking at me. Like it was going to change. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they were going to so grow. finally, we, and you know, you have to come to the ring, so the referee checked my feet, and they make sure I got nothing in there. Make sure there's nothing in your... Uh, nothing in my tights. Nothing in your tights. Nothing in my tights, all that stuff. <laughs> so anyway, make a long story short, Harley Cannon. Kid, what the fuck you got on there? You forgot to put on your trunks. Maybe you go back and you forgot your freaking trunks, kid. You got your underwears on out here. I said, These are my bodybuilding uh, trunk. This ain't no damn bodybuilding contest. This is a wrestling contest. Who told you to wear them damn trunks out here? I said, The booker, only Anderson, told me to wear my bodybuilding trunk. He's trying to put a fucking rib on me or something. Yep. He said, you're going to wrestle them damn things? I said, I, said, I can't jump out the ring and go back and change. He said, all right, let's, let's get it on there. So we wrestled around for a little bit. All of a sudden, Harley said, headlock me. So I grabbed Harley in the headlock. Harley said, uh, I want you to, to backdrop me. So anyway, I reversed the headlock. Harley grabbed a headlock on me. He reversed headlock, put it on me. Cause he headlocked me to tell me what to do. Then I, uh, he headlocked me, and he threw me into the rope. I mean, I threw Harley into the rope. He said, "Back drop," which means what he gonna do? I suppose throw Harley into the rope. Harley come off the rope, and I give him a back drop. I go, "Okay." I whoop Harley into the rope. I bent over to give him a back drop. Harley. As he went over, he grabbed them damn trunks <laughs> and pulled them some of the guns all the way down to my damn knees. Alabama black snake, baby. All <laughs> my dirty little bitty trunks were down here. I, and, they, and they rolled up, too. Yeah. <laughs> I had a hell of a freaking terror <laughs> trying to get them. Try to get the little skippy ass. I mean, when I turned around, it went right up the crack of my butt and everything. So I got my testicles hanging out this way, my my private part hanging out that way. The little part is up my freaking butt. So I'm trying to hide myself. <laughs> I snatched Harley in the headlock. <coughs> I said, Harley, what the? I said, Harley, what the hell do you do that for? Harley started laughing. <laughs> I wanted the people to see the dark side of the moon. <laughs> the dark side of the moon. That was his little gimmick. So now I got mad. So I take him over in the headlock and I try to, I'm, I'm going to squeeze him and you know, show my strong hand. So Harley just took <laughs> the nipple on my chest and he started grinding it with his teeth like this. Oh, Jesus. He's a kid. Loosen the fuck up. Or I would bite your nip off, and you can't win no more of them contests. I go, okay, Mr. Grace. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've been in bars with Harley. When I first met Harley Race. They sent me to St. Louis, Missouri, and Kansas. And we stayed at this hotel named Razorback or something. And I would sit and watch Harley wrestle. They called him Handsome Harley Race then. He would get up on the top rope, put his hand on the side, and come off with a diamond head, but and hit you right in the head with his head. Incredible move, incredible. 
So anyway, I go to go to my car. And back then, there had a lot of Larry Hunt looking people there, you know. <laughs> Long ass old beard, you know, old, you know, hillbilly looking hats and stuff. And everybody had one of them in their trunks. Everybody had one of these bad boys in their trunk. So <laughs> I'm afraid to go out to my car. So Harley was the last match you come out and say, Hey kid, I thought you was gone. What are you doing here? I said, Harley, uh, I'm afraid. He said, What? I said, I'm on the only black guy here. I said, You got all these white guys out in the parking lot, man, with guns. I said, I'm kind of afraid. All right, don't worry about it. Just tell him you're a friend of man. I whooped everybody in this town. Back then, if would you call a wrestler a faker or whatever, that wrestler, that wrestler would tell you this. Get into the ring. I show you fake. He would bring you to the ring and just kick the dog shit out of you. And most of them guys could do it. So Harley did that a lot. He would invite you into the ring and just beat the hell out of you and throw you out of the ring. So I went to the car and I would do this. I know Harley Race. I know Harley Race. I know Harley Race. He's my friend. He's my friend. I did it all the way to the car. The reason that I did that, because I didn't know, but I found out there's more that I need to tell y'all later about uh, the one who I said outside of Ric Flair. It's a toss up between Ric Flair and Harley Race as the number one NWA World Heavyweight Champion. It might be Harley. Somebody's calling me right now. Probably someone telling me that I was that I was that I was wrong. You know. But anyway, we are about almost out of town now. Yeah, yep. And once again And you wanna say something, Larry? When wrestling was real. Yeah. <laughs>